But why do people who fall horribly into sin have to go to another church to get a second chance? I would hope that that road ends here. Yes, if you're from another church and you have a horrible story in your past, like most of us do, that you would find this the place where Christ gives you not only second chances, but 20 second chances. And I would hope that if you're in this church now and you are struggling deeply with sin, that this is the place where you'll find restoration and encouragement. And in the future, as we find our brothers or sisters stumbling hard, that we will be like Barnabas, an instrument of grace, hungry to give out second chances to brothers and sisters who repent. Let's now read the text. It's found in Acts chapter 15. It's only five verses this week. It's kind of nice. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So sharp that they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they're the dynamic duo, this Paul and Barnabas. They've ministered in Jerusalem together. They've ministered in Antioch for over a year together. They then decided that they were going to go on a world tour. And so their first missionary journey they took together for over two or two and a half years. They've been together and it's pretty exciting when Paul and Barnabas are ministering. The Holy Spirit does incredible things. People have come to know Jesus Christ, their Savior, and the church has been built. Now they're back home after their first missionary tour. They're back home in Antioch, and there they are. But it doesn't take them long to get restless. They're not yet ready to buy their Harley Davidson and move to the mountains. It's not vacation time yet. They've had their rest. But Paul, filled with ambition, looks at Barney and says, Barnabas, let's go back. Let's go see our brothers and make sure they're doing well. Let's, I know, we need to know how they're doing. We have this message we need to deliver. Uh, Jerusalem Council has spoken. We need to make sure they're not legalistic. We need to reprove some. We need to cast out some. We need to build our brothers up in the faith. It's because Paul and Barnabas, they're good leaders. They're evangelists, they're apostles, they're missionaries, but they're shepherds. They have to know how their flock's doing. Kind of like you as a, a parent when you send your child off to college. I wonder how many times you wanted just to kind of drive and sneak around and follow them from class to class just to know, is my daughter okay? That's the heart of a shepherd. It's the heart of a pastor. It's the heart of Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul pitches, let's go, and Barnabas says, I'm good to go. 
The road is calling. The dynamic duo is back off. It's time for another reunion tour as they're getting ready to travel. Barnabas thinks, Paul, you just pitched a pretty good idea to me. I got one for you. Let's take with us John Mark. Now, John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. When Paul and Barnabas were visiting Jerusalem with a gift for the churches, they found John Mark and said, would you like to join the team? John Mark, he said, sign me up. Signed his name on the dotted line, traveled with them to Antioch, ministered there with them. And then when they said, let's go on our world tour, John Mark said, good to go. So John Mark and Paul and Barnabas take off. And this is, I mean, before we start throwing stones at John Mark, realize how many missionary trips have you joined? Here he is, leaving home, going to Antioch, leaving Antioch, going to Cyprus, traveling all throughout the island, experiencing exorcisms, oppression, seeing people come to know Jesus. Then he gets on another boat and goes to the mainland. John Mark is a missionary. He signed up for service, and it was way more than just some 10-day retreat to Latin America. John Mark is in it. But something happens in Pamphylia, and John Mark takes off for home. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what that was. There are a lot of people who have guessed. Some say the journey was too hard. I mean, all the walking, all the hiking, all the sailing, the journey was too long. I mean, he would planned to be away from home for a while, but this is getting ridiculous. Now we're heading north, Jerusalem south. I'm getting a long way from mom's macaroni and cheese. Some thought the journey's too dangerous. Did you hear where we're going? We're going away from mom and towards the mountains, and that's where the bandits hang out. Some say he was struggling with Paul. We know of John Mark's mother. She was a solid believer who used her resources to glorify God and help the church. We know nothing about dad. So was John affluent? Was John a little soft? Was Paul a little too harsh? Most people think it's one of the next two things, though, that John Mark thought Paul was getting too prominent. It all starts off with Barnabas going and getting Paul. It's always mentioned Barnabas and Paul in Luke. Barnabas and Paul. But lately there's been a transitioning happen where it's now Paul and Barnabas. Paul is starting to be known as the chief speaker. Paul is the one who gets to do all the healings. And Barnabas seems good with this. This is what a good leader does is he finds someone, sets them up for success, and backs away and kind of exits stage left. But John Mark's not good with that. Or could it be that he thought the church is just getting too multicultural? I kind of liked this Israel, Yahweh, Jesus combo making a big deal of the ceremonial law, walking in according with the traditions, and yet every now and then we'll let some people who don't look like us in, but this is getting ridiculous. Now we're starting to have more Greeks, we're starting to have more Romans. We're letting all these pagans in, these immoral people, these idolaters. And now Paul is starting to say we don't have to do circumcision, we don't have to do the sacrifices, 
now we start seeing the synagogues are against us. And this is just way too uncomfortable for me. This is getting way too far away from the old covenant form of religion. I liked that. We don't know why, but pick one of those reasons you like the best and go with it. But John Mark says, I'm done. He left them, he abandoned them, he went home. He sinned. But that was a couple years ago. How long does it take for someone to get over their sin and to start walking in Christ before you will quit ever pointing out their sin? It's good in Scripture not to keep a record of wrongs. It's good when you as a spouse look at your husband or your wife and you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I shouldn't have spoken that way. And it's wonderful when instead of hearing, well, you're always doing that, or that's just who you are, instead you start hearing, I forgive you, I'm not bringing it up anymore. How long does it take the church to do this? It appears now that after a couple years, John Mark has repented. Why would I say that? Well, he's somewhere close at hand. Because it appears that Barnabas is not saying, hey, let's go back to Jerusalem, let's get John Mark, let's bring him all the way back to Antioch, and then let's take off. And it appears that John Mark is not only near in vicinity, that he's repented and he's come close, that he's repented and he's come back to the apostles, he's repented and he's come back to the church, but it appears that he's willing to go. Why? Because in a few verses he goes. I think he's repented. So here he is, John Mark, close to Paul and Barnabas, willing to serve, willing to go, and Barnabas continually suggests they should give him a second chance. In your English text, that doesn't make it clear, but in the Greek, it's very clear. He won't let this go. Paul made his bold pitch. Barnabas is now making his over and over again. You need to get that. Consistently, persistently. Paul, we've got to let him come with us. Paul, we've got to let him come with us. But Paul won't let him go. Paul knows John Mark had apostanta. Sound like Jim, except he says Greek words better than I did. Does that sound familiar? That's the word in your text that says withdrawn, but that's the word from which we get apostatized. John Mark had departed. He had forsaken and he had deserted them. He had quit. He was soft. He was weak. He was undependable, uncommitted. He was cowardly. John Mark had put his hand to the plow and had done what Jesus said not to do, had turned away. He had started following to Jesus, but he had turned back. John Mark was like one who quickly accepts the seed and grows and is fruitful, but when tribulation and trials come, and when the heat of life comes, he withers and he dies. John Mark is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is his truth. And this is his known truth. This is his testimony. This is the reputation he has earned. John Mark is unfaithful. He's sinful. And Paul says no. 
But remember, Barnabas won't let this go. He continually suggests, hey, let's take John Mark with us. Let's take John Mark with us. Why? You got to know who Barnabas is, and he's a hero. Whoever is his public relations director needs to be fired. I have never yet baptized a baby named Barnabas in a church called St. Barnabas Presbyterian Church. But this guy is legendary. If you take all that Luke says about him in the book of Acts, Barnabas is a man full of faith. Barnabas is a man full of the Spirit. Barnabas is a good man. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. He earned that name because he kept encouraging the poor people in Jerusalem by selling his assets that he might have more money to help his brothers and sisters. Barnabas encourages Saul. When Saul or Paul comes to Jerusalem and he's ready just to join the church and everyone's scared, it's Barnabas who goes and gets him and encourages him and says, he's with me and I'm using my power to love him. Barnabas, son of encouragement, is one who encouraged the church of Antioch to give aid to Jerusalem. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who encourages Hellenistic believers when the church sends him there to make sure they're real, he goes to Antioch and there he encourages them. Then he hits the road and spends a whole year with Paul encouraging people to come to know Jesus Christ. On the way, he encourages John Mark and says, hey, I like to build leaders and you look like a leader who needs to be built. Why don't you come along with Paul and I on our first journey? He's one who encourages elders. In every place Paul and Barnabas go, they go to a church and there they, they help install a plurality of elders. You're starting to get who he is. When he realizes that he's wrong in not eating with Gentiles, he repents and encourages those Gentiles. Then he goes to Jerusalem. He learns the truth that we don't have to be circumcised anymore. And he and Paul with Silas and others travel back. And there he is encouraging the church. He's driven now to encourage John Mark. That's who he is. He's the son of encouragement. And this is a fallen, broken, repenting brother who needs encouragement. And you can just see his attitude. Paul, are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? We traveled around the world showing grace to idolatrous women, immoral men, abusive Romans, murderous Jews, and some who have been demonically possessed. This is my cousin. This is my blood. This is my family. More than that, this is the son of our father. This is the bride of our Christ. This is the person in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And you're not going to show grace to that person that Christ shows grace to? Mercy to this brother? Encouragement to this brother? Forgiveness to this brother? We're not going to restore him and give him a second chance? So I think Luke says there was a sharp disagreement. If you look at where this word is used in the Septuagint, the Old Testament, the New Testament, this is not a soft and sweet conversation. It's intensely heated. 
Because Paul will not say yes, and Barnabas will not take no for an answer. Oh, you're starting to get it? Last week we talked about, yeah, isn't it wonderful to be in the big tent and be part of the body of Christ and how we love unity and communion and we pray for it and let's not make too big of a deal of our denominations. But every now and then there's going to be something we have to fight over. And the whole first 35 verses of Acts showed you the first thing you fight over. Can Horizon Church be a church that fights over the free gospel of Jesus Christ? Even if we have to divide Can we stand on the gospel? That was last week's sermon. And now here, I think, is another reason to fight and maybe even divide. Are we willing to fight to encourage and restore fallen and repentant children of God? Paul will not budge. Paul will preach the gospel of free grace. But Paul, I don't think, is gracious here. And Barnabas is saying, I've got grace for him. He continuously asks. There's a sharp debate. They ultimately end up separating from one another over this issue, the dynamic duo split. And how sad it is. God is getting ready to do a bunch of things through Paul on that second missionary journey that Barnabas will never be able to experience. And there may be no one else in the entire church to whom Paul owes as much as Barnabas. And now there is schism and disappointment. It's not pretty. But that's not the end of the story. You see, God is sovereign, and he's sovereign over all disagreement, dysfunction, and division in his church, and the result of this ministerial schism are the following. First of all, now we have two mentors with two disciples. Now we have two missionary journeys, two teams going in two different directions. Now we have Paul's incredible missionary journey that starts that may not have even happened. He was going to go and remember just go back to the churches. That was his initial plan. But because of this, he's going to head in a different direction than he previously thought. And halfway there, God is going to make a detour. And there's going to be some significant cities that are reached because of this schism. Paul gets an especially gifted partner. As a matter of fact, most people believe that Barnabas was the best person for the task up to this point. But now Silas is actually a better partner for Saul. Because Silas is a Roman citizen. Silas speaks Greek. Silas has the gift of prophecy. Silas is able to be his scribe. And Silas is a proven commodity. Paul has seen him work in Jerusalem and Antioch. So now we have God giving another tool to Paul that will greatly assist. But here's the big two things you want to focus on. A restored brother. John Mark proves himself. He's a faithful missionary who stays firm till the end. He pins the second gospel. Peter will write of him and call him Mark. My son. 
And tradition tells us that John Mark stayed true to the end. Ultimately, he was martyred in Alexandria. Yeah, he quit, but he was restored. And he quit quitting, and God was glorified. But by the end of the story, you have one apostle named Paul, who I think is humbled and incredibly happy. Ultimately, I think Paul will be the first to say, it's a good thing. It's a very, very, very good thing that Barnabas was gracious. For in Philemon 1, 23 and 24, Paul will write, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Mark is seen as a fellow worker in close proximity with Paul. In Colossians 4.10, he writes again, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you this greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. If he comes to you, welcome him. You can see Paul's love for him, his desire to honor and respect him, for others to do so, their fellow workers. But then how about the last letter ever penned by Paul before he dies? In which he says, Everyone's deserted me. Well, not everyone. Luke's with me. But I'll tell you who I need with me. Get Mark. Bring him. Because he's helpful to me in my ministry. The question is often asked, who was right, who was wrong? I think Davo Sweeney has a question to answer. Is he going to value the institution or the relationship? I mean, that offense is not looking good right now. The institution's heading in the wrong direction. Maybe, temporarily, this year, right now, for sure, last night. But he's very, very loyal to his coaches. But one part of that team doesn't seem to be going well. Here, we might have the same thing. Paul is loyal to the institution. The church of Jesus Christ must go on. The mission has to be advanced. And maybe John Mark was not best to go with Paul on that day. Perhaps Paul was right. But for sure, Barnabas was right. Because we see what God did. So now, how do we apply this? In this world, we have many who discourage us. If you're a Chicago Cubs fan, it wasn't that long ago that you would show up at a game with a bag over your head. How would you like to go out on the field and have everybody else already voting on how your performance is before the game has even started as fans sit there with bags over their head? Or they boo their own team on football games. Coaches can really be discouraging, especially old school coaches from back in the day. They're kind of foolish because they work against themselves, but they're so selfish. It's all about me. It's all about my team. It's about my franchise, my legacy, my record. And so coaches in the past used to tear people down, demean them, call them out, kill hope. I remember one coach looked at one of my sons and said, I just want you to know you're on the team, but you'll never have any chance of playing. Would you still like to be on the team? Well, maybe the truth was my son would never have a chance of playing. 
But why would you kill hope? Why wouldn't you look at him and make this vow? I promise you, young man, that if you show yourselves better than any one of these people that have played for me for the last two years, you'll start. So keep working. If not, I'm making no promises, but I do promise you this. I, I will not kill your hope. Reporters discourage by highlighting only the bad things of politicians and church leaders. Employers discourage while they're high on criticism and light on commendation. Spouses, we can harm each other with our snide comments. Why can't you be more like my father? You know what my mother would do? My sister told me I shouldn't marry you. Parents, you can discourage and leave wounds that will last for the rest of people's lives. It's Satan who's the discourager because it's Satan who's the accuser. Satan is the one who makes his living seeing you sin and then coming up and whispering non-gospel truths in your ears and trying to get you to doubt your new identity, to doubt the finished work of Jesus Christ, to doubt that you're free from sin and not in bondage, to say that you're addicted, and then he says that to you, but it, it appears in Scripture that sometimes he tries to make his way to the heavenly court where he wants to be the prosecuting of, uh, attorney, and he wants to keep pointing out, hey, did you see what Job did? Hey, did you see what Joe did? Thank God I have a Jesus Christ who's my defense attorney and my advocate who's tight with the judge. And he's able to look and say, shut up to Satan, the accuser. Yes, in this world, it is natural for people to see your flaws and call them out and rub them in your face and identify you by those flaws and never let you outlive it. We do not get over people's sins. We keep a record of wrongs. And sadly, is that true in the world, but it's also true in the church. The prodigal took his dad's inheritance, basically spit in his face, squandered it on prostitutes, lost it all, found himself in a pig pen, and came running home to dad. There's nothing that made his father more happy than his prodigal son coming home to dad. Except that we have this arrogant, self-righteous brother who can't see his own sin at all. That telephone pole in his eye is too big, but he somehow is able to look around that telephone pole and see the toothpick in his brother's eye. And at the end of the story, it's this brother that's the problem, not the one repenting. And in the church, that's what we do. We throw our own under the bus. We kill our wounded. We keep records of wrongs. We blog about public figures. Why? Well, let's repent. Let's start with the gospel, and then we'll apply it. It's read on purpose. This is speaking of the one, Jesus Christ. He is the one who is Better than Barnabas. He's the one 
who restores. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who found Adam and Eve in the garden and went and got them, clothed them, and set them up to to raise worshiping children. He's the one that went and found Abraham and called him back and helped him reconcile with Sarah so so together they could teach their household and their, their family and their slaves how they could then worship the one true God. Jacob wandered off. Jesus went and got him. Moses killed someone, was stuck in the desert. Jesus restored him. Samson, (laughs) over and over again. And yet God restored him, and at the end, he was able to use his remaining ability to rescue God's people. David, you're still singing his psalms and reading his scriptures, many of which were written after his horrible fault. Jonah ran from God, repented, was restored, and used in revival. Nineveh was told not to boast, but he just couldn't help it. It's all about me. Look what I've built. And God humbled him, then restored him. And I have good reason to think Nebuchadnezzar will be in glory waiting on us when we get there. All the disciples, every single one of them, fell. They all apostatized, withdrawed. Withdrew would be the proper grammar. They all fell. They quit. They hid. But Jesus' words to Peter were probably his words to them as well. I've prayed for you. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You get to the final book of the Bible, and Jesus is writing to entire churches like ours, churches with good foundations, but churches that have wandered away. We're always needing to repent. And Jesus looks and he says, Church, remember from where you've fallen. Return and practice again those things that you used to do. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's looking at you right now. And he knows what you don't want me to know. He knows about me, that which I tremble. I don't want you to know that about me. He knows you better than I know you, and he knows you better than you know you. You can't possibly confess all your sins because you don't know all your sins. But he knows them. And he loves you. And he died for you. And he is not putting you in time out. You are not a second class minister for the rest of your days. Christ would have you repent. He will restore you. This is what he does. It's not like Christ is like Barnabas. Barnabas is like Christ. Barnabas was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man. Christ was full of the Spirit without measure. The most faithful. The goodest, if I'm going to keep using bad grammar. Man. So in this church... I'm calling us finally to two things. Let's joyfully repent as a church 
and encourage and restore. Watch this, please. You know, there, there's always a lot of criticism out there when somebody does something wrong, everybody wants to know how you're going to punish the guy. All right, but there's not enough for 19 and 20 year old kids, people out there saying, why don't you give them another chance? All right, so I'm going to give a speech right now about this. Like, where do you want them to be? Guy makes a mistake. Where, where do you want them to be? You want them to be in the street? Or do you want them to be here graduating? You know, when I was over there at the Nagurski, Musin Muhammad, who played 15 years for the Carolina Panthers, played for me at Michigan State. Everybody in the school, every newspaper guy, everybody was killing a guy because he got in trouble and said there's no way he should be on our team. I didn't kick him off the team. I suspended him. I made him do stuff. He graduated from Michigan State. He played 15 years in the league. Right, he's a president of a company now. And he has seven children, and his oldest daughter goes to Princeton. So who was right? I feel strong about this now, really strong. All right, about all the criticism out there of every guy that's 19 years old that makes a mistake, and you all kill him. And then some people won't stand up for him. So my question to you is, where do you want them to be? You want to condemn them? To a life sentence? Or do you want the guy to have his children going to Princeton? You want to close on that, or do you want to just? You guys are getting me fired up. You better be careful on this one. You might, you might want to just pass that thing on down the road. Even the pagan world of Alabama gets it right sometime. But what about the church? We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If I can influence Horizon Church, there will be no three strikes and you're out here. No throwing of our own under the bus or shooting our wounded. Just a group of broken, repentant leaders and friends showing mercy, forgiveness, grace, pursuing our lost, bringing them home, equipping them for the work of the ministry that doesn't stop, and recommissioning. May God help us as a church to be the best at this. Let's repent and restore and encourage. And then finally, I represent Jesus Christ. And I look at you who are John Marks and I say, quit quitting. Jesus Christ knows that you made vows of worship. He knows that you made vows of good membership. 
He knows that you've made vows. You've done it over and over again of having good devotions and reading the scriptures and engaging in prayer. He knows that you made vows to a marriage spouse. He knows that over and over again you've sworn, I'm going to stop that sin, whatever that name might be. He knows that you have sworn that you're going to use your business as a testimony for Jesus Christ, that you're going to speak differently, that you're going to use your finances as a good steward. He knows that you took vows to be an, an officer and just been sitting on those for a while. He looks at you and he says, come home. I'm ready to restore you. I'm ready to reestablish you. We got work to do. We have a mission to go accomplish. He's the coach right now. He calls you quit quitting. We've got better days ahead.